The kingdom of God and the personal life of the Christian are described in the highest standards. It is a standard that is impossible for mere humans to live up to. But Jesus lived up to his own standards perfectly, and then he insists that his followers also live up to these standards. Thank God that by his grace and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we can live up to these perfect standards as well. Jesus calls us to the highest standard of peace between one another. Christians do not call people fools. Christians do not hate or allow themselves to be angry at others. Christians are devoted to making peace immediately with everyone. Christians do not allow hurt and offenses to fester. Christian relationships are always marked by love and kindness, even when it is not returned. As we see here, it is easy to say, love one another. But this is an impossible command to keep unless we have supernatural help from above. Well, good morning, everybody. We're so excited about this Sermon on the Mount, and we're doing something we've never done before. Uh, we're going to take uh, these chapters and just go through it systematically until we're done. Usually, our sermon series lasts for five to six weeks, sometimes for three weeks. But uh, we're going to go through this um, passage by passage, and really very excited about it. And why am I excited about it? Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we learn the standards of the kingdom. We learn what God wants of us. And so this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then of course this will have a special significance to you. You want to know what God wants of you. You want to understand the standard of God. Now, I'm going to just say this. The Sermon on the Mount... Uh, can be offensive. So I just want to warn everybody, because I don't want anybody sitting there getting angry at me uh, as if I'm trying to offend you. Some people actually think that. They think, Pastor, I was trying to offend me. I'm not. I'm just telling you what Jesus says. And frankly, sometimes what he says is offensive, and especially in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, some of the things he says are so offensive that the Pharisees wanted to kill him for it. So please don't anybody kill me uh, as I present what Jesus says. Just want you to know that. It's not me. It's not my idea. It's what Jesus says. So um, listen to, listen to, I'm just going to give an example of something that's very confrontational and maybe for some very offensive. And uh, here's what he says. He says, whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Uh, that is not something that you're going to hear too often uh, from, from anybody, but this is what Jesus says. In fact, it's, a, it's amazing, actually, how often Jesus uh, speaks about hell. Whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Well, I know what you're thinking. I mean, that, we've all said things we shouldn't say. We've all said offensive things. We've all said things like, you fool. I want us to understand today this standard of the kingdom of God. 
I want us to understand what it is that Jesus requires of us, and I want you to help us understand how Jesus wants to treat, how Jesus wants us to treat each other, how Jesus wants us to deal with one another. I think it's very easy to become lazy, and it's very easy to to just sort of slide along in our faith and not really think about how our words affect us and affect others and how our actions affect others and us. So, in the Sermon on the Mount, very shocking teaching. And if you want to just get sort of a, a, a warning of what's to come, you can go ahead and read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 yourself. And it's pretty shocking stuff. Just, just warning everybody. Is everybody okay with this? Say amen if you are. If not, never mind. So we, uh, we all know that Jesus calls us to love each other, right? You all get that? And in fact, you'll, you're going to hear people say, if you boil it all down, it's all about loving God, loving others. And, and you would be right in that. But here's the problem. Most of us don't actually know what it means to love each other. It doesn't come naturally to us. In fact, quite the opposite comes naturally to us. What's natural to us is to be self-centered and not loving. So we all have a, a pretty good idea of what it means to love each other. But when it comes right down to it, none of us is good at it. In fact, none of us can fulfill that kind of commitment of love. The Old Testament understanding that we don't know really how to love each other gives us 613 laws. Some of them stated positively and the majority negative. Don't do this, don't do that, don't, 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 don't. And Jesus, when he came along, in order to help us understand what love is, he, he told parables. One of the parables that I think all of us knows is the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan reaches out to the poor Jewish man that was beaten up and almost left for, well, left for dead, almost dead. And, and Jesus says, this is what love looks like. The Samaritan helping a Jewish man and providing for him, paying all his medical bills until he's well. That's what love looks like. And the Jewish people, oh. Now, in case you don't know, the significance of this, it would be like somebody who is uh, in the PLO, Palestinian, reaching out to a Jewish person and loving him, or vice versa. It's significant. So we know what we should do. But do you know what you shouldn't do? What you're not supposed to do? This verse kind of gives us an idea of the things that we shouldn't do. We know the things we should do, but we don't know the things that we should not do. And so Jesus teaches us this in the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching us how we relate to each other, how we deal with one another. And here's what he says in Matthew 5, verses 21 to 26. And he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Remember we said last week that Jesus upholds the law, he fulfills it, he does not do away with the law. But then Jesus says something very interesting. He adds to this, he says, you know, you've heard this and it's true, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother 
will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. That would be the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. And by the way, behind the Jewish council is God himself, the Jewish council upholding the laws of God. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Verse 23. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Go make it right. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, this is tough teaching. It confronts us. In fact, I would say of all the sermons I've preached this year, this one is for me. This is the one that gets me by the throat and shakes me. This is the one that I feel the Holy Spirit is, is dealing with me uh, about. What about you? Now, for the rest of the sermon, you're going to think, oh, yeah, Pastor Allen really needs this. Yeah, this is perfect for Pastor Allen. Okay, I don't want you to do that. I know some people will come to me after a message and say, oh, that was such a good sermon. Too bad what's-his-name wasn't here. <laughs> Too bad my wife wasn't here to hear this. No, let's not do that. Let's think of ourselves. Let's let the Spirit of God apply the word to our hearts. And I'm going to ask you just to invite the Holy Spirit to do that for you this morning. So, it's a powerful word. When it comes to all people, Jesus is telling us what should be in our hearts. The Old Testament deals with the exterior, with our behaviors and our actions. The New Testament deals with what is actually inside of us, with the interior. That's a simple rule of thumb. Old Testament is the exterior. Nobody can see what's in your heart. The Pharisees, they, it, it says that, that they were perfect in keeping the law. They never broke any laws, any of the laws of God. And yet Jesus called them a brood of snakes. Why? Because while everybody else could see the Pharisees on the outside, Jesus was able to see what was actually in their hearts. And he looked at them and he thought, even though you guys look great on the outside, inside you're dead. In fact, he said, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but inside is death. You're a brood of vipers. I pray to God that nobody here today is like that. It's so easy, isn't it? If you've been a Christian for years and you've figured out all the rules and you know how to, how to do what you're supposed to do and you know how you, you, you can speak the language, you know how to speak Christianese. Anybody here <laughs> fluent in Christianese? Yeah, you know, you can say everything right, you look great, you act great, you do all the right things, but inside you're dead. There's so many people like that. So many people call themselves Christians. Now listen, I don't want you to leave here today and say, now who is that? Who is that one that's dead on the inside? Don't do that. That's judging. God knows that, and Jesus knows that. The question is, what's in your heart? 
And are you allowing the Holy Spirit to show you what is actually in your heart? Because to love one another means that we're no longer doing what we want to do, but we are coming, watch this, under the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian today, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. You cannot live the Christian life in your own strength, in your own wisdom, in your own ability. Do you get that? Because if you think that you can do this stuff, if you think this is a pep rally, if somehow I'm going to give you a how-to, then you you really need to go somewhere else because I can't give that to you. All I can do is show you the life and the behavior of somebody who is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And everybody who is a Christian, theoretically speaking, should be under the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus teaches us what it really means to love one another. Now, I need to make one more point before I go further. Last week, we, we disabused you of the notion that you're under grace and not the law. That's a, it's, a, it's a gross misunderstanding of what that means. The Apostle Paul says, yes, we're, we're not under the law. We are under grace. But that doesn't mean that you go out and sin like crazy. Because for a lot of people, they'll say that, oh, well, I can't change who I am. I am who I am. And, and you know, grace now is a license to do whatever you want. This is called antinomianism. It's a, it's a heresy that says that I'm under grace alone and I can live any way I want because Jesus has saved me and therefore I can do as I please. This is wrong. It's not biblical. It's not acceptable. So if you're here today thinking I'm under grace and therefore I can do whatever I want, you are dead wrong. Dead wrong. The, the law is a thing that shapes us and changes us and teaches us. So the law says, do not murder. If you're under grace, that doesn't mean now you can go murder people, right? doesn't mean that Ten Commandments don't apply anymore. It means now that you are doing the Ten Commandments, but, but more than doing the Ten Commandments, that inside your interior is transformed, that the Spirit of God is at work in you so that you don't even want to have the attitude of somebody who would murder. And that's what this teaching is about today. So let's talk about that. Jesus upholds the law, but then he goes a step further, and he says this. He says, well, let's say it. Let's look at it. He says, so if you're offering, uh, oh, that's wrong. Let's see here. There we go. Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, and whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council the Sanhedrin, God's governing and judging authority. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Well, you look at that and you think, well, who on earth can live like this? Because who of us hasn't gotten angry? For many of us, it's a daily occurrence. And for some of us, it's an hourly occurrence. Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Who can live like this? Well, I'm going to talk about that in a few moments. But first of all, let's look at those words, angry, insults, and you fool. Some people think that this is, uh, this is sort of a progression. It begins with anger and it just goes down. No, Jesus is saying the same thing three, three different ways so that you get the point. 
Jesus does not want you to be angry with people. He doesn't want you insulting people. He doesn't want you calling people a fool. What does it mean to be angry? Well, again, remember we talked about the exterior and the interior. On the outside, we're not to be, we're not to be murdering people. But now Jesus is saying here, on the inside, we shouldn't be murdering people. It has to do with your emotions, doesn't it? It has to do with what's in your heart and what's in your, what's in your head. Anger is a feeling of annoyance, of resentment. You feel uh, such displeasure and even hostility. That's what anger is. It's something that goes on inside of you. It's actually the beginning of murder. I'll never forget. I baptized a lady when I was just new in the ministry. And I said, would you like to give a little testimony and tell people what God has done for you? And she stood there in the, in the tank beside me, and she said, I just want you to know, she's telling everybody, the congregation, I'm a murderer. And, and I gasped, <gasps> not realizing who, who this person is standing beside me in the tank. What I didn't, it, what she, and she didn't, she didn't clarify it, but I understood afterwards what she meant. This is, she murdered people in her heart. She was angry, just full of anger and full of bitterness. And she, she gave the right testimony because in her heart, she was murdering people left and right. So here it is, this anger, this feeling. It's a, it's a feeling, it's an emotion. You're, you're, you're showing annoyance and, and uh, you're perceiving unfair treatment and you're reacting against that. It's all in your head and in your heart. That's what anger is. So often when you lose control of a situation, you can't control your kids, you can't control the people who are driving around you, you can't control your spouse, you can't control your boss, you can't control the people you work with. You can't control anything. And then what do you do? You get angry. This is what happens. And you, the resentment builds. And so here's what's happening when you're angry. Rather than trusting God to be in control, you're saying, no, God, you can't handle this. I'm going to handle this. And then you get angry, and then you start, you start acting out. Your attitude is horrible. Insult. That word translated insult in the ESV is actually the word raka, and there is no real English equivalent to it. Raka is the same in Hebrew and in Aramaic, and basically, um, it's a, it means empty. You, you are a, you're empty. You're worthless. And the root word of the word raka is to spit. So you've seen people do that. In other countries, when a person spits on the ground in front of somebody, that is like the lowest of the low. It doesn't get worse than that. That's, a, that's an expression of utter hatred, dis, disdain, and scorn. That's what Raka is. Jesus says, if you insult your brother, you're going to be liable to the council. You're going to be liable to judgment. It's a, it's, it's a judging of a person's heart. You are, you, are, uh, you are saying that you, you are void of, of any morals. You are a worthless human being. That's what raka means. This is the insults that we're talking about here. And then that word fool in the Greek more, meaning you stupid, idiot. You're insipid. That's what the Greek word actually is. It's you are insipid, empty. Now, I know that all of us here today have at one time or another uh, maybe said things like that. And uh, we might even feel tempted to laugh at that 
oh, well, it's just what it means to be human. And Jesus is saying, this is not what it means to be human. Because humans, watch this, are created in the image of God. And it's for this reason Jesus says we're not to be angry, we're not to insult, we're not to call people fools. Why? Because everybody is created in the image of God. How dare you call somebody a fool? How dare you insult? How dare you be angry with somebody who bears God's likeness? Here's here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying people who belong to the kingdom of God, people who are Christians, need to see other human beings as God sees them. Can you imagine for one moment if God treated you the way you treat people that you feel resentment and anger towards? This this gets ugly now. Because for some of us, in our hearts, in our minds, we're thinking very dark thoughts about some people. And Jesus is saying, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're part of the kingdom, you have no right to treat people like that. How dare you sit in a seat of judgment of other human beings who are created in the image of God? It's critical that we understand that. That person who annoys you, that person who really majorly ticks you off, you need to start to see them the way God sees them. And you know how much God loves that person? He loves them so much that he sent his son to die for them. God sent his son to die for that that fool. And you're calling him a fool and you're angry at that one that Jesus died for? I don't think so. And this is what Jesus is pressing home to us. We must deal with people as God deals with them. Now, it's easy for me to say that, but it's a completely different thing to do that. And I, I, I feel like this message is for me especially. This is tough. This is tough stuff. And quite frankly, there's nobody here that can live by this standard. You know that, right? You keep hearing me say that, and I'm telling you again. You cannot live by this standard. It's impossible. But folks, here's the gospel. Here's the good news. With man, with humans, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. This is the gospel. Jesus Christ, when he left this earth, he sent his Holy Spirit who dwells in us and, look at this, and enables us to live by this high standard. So I need to remind you of something. Remember the beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they shall be... Nobody remembers that beatitude sermon? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Think about that for a moment. Before you go around being angry and judging people, calling them fool and insulting them, saying that they're worthless, remember that the same thing could be said about you. But because of God's great love, he sent his son and he saved you. He showed you mercy. And this is what God wants us to do for others. He wants us to be like him. 
Remember we said he is our father. We are his children. We are to imitate Christ and do what God would do for the people in our life. And we will love others. We will be kind to them. We will not be angry. We will not insult. We will not call them fool. Rather, we will be to them what God is to us, loving and merciful and kind. Folks, this is Christianity 101. This is Christianity. This is the basics of our faith. And again, it's in the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do this on your own. So if you're a Christian today, then theoretically, you should be able to live this way. And I, I got to just say this right off the bat. If you are not doing your daily devotions, if you're not walking with God every day, then I'm going to tell you, you are going to fall short of this standard. You will not be able to make it. You will fail. If you're not praying, what is prayer? Prayer is talking to God. If you're reading your Bible, what's happening? God's talking to you. You spend that time in the presence of God, your heart connects to the heart of God. This is called a relationship with God. This is what makes our faith different than other faiths. This is a living, vibrant, vital relationship with Almighty God. We're not just going through religious rituals here. We don't just go through this, these exterior motions, crossing ourselves, signs on the wall, and icons, and so on and so forth. We're talking about an internal job. Our faith is internal. Our walk and our relationship with God is internal. I have people say to me all the time, why don't you have crosses up in the church? Why aren't there any holy pictures? They're in my heart. It's in me. And this is Christianity. It's an inside job. It's in you. And the evidence that it's in you is that you don't go around being angry at your brother. And by the way, it's not just your brother, it's your sister too. <laughs> it's your mother and your father. It's your friend, it's your neighbor. The evidence that God is at work in your life is that you're not going around insulting people and calling them fool. You know, I've seen some very sanctimonious Christians over the years. They just go around acting like they got it all together. They know they know everything and they're perfect but folks this is where the rubber meets the road this is this is where you know whether a person is surrendered to the holy spirit or not whether you are whether you're self-controlled whether you're spirit controlled so i know some are sitting here today thinking well hold on a minute here didn't jesus get angry yes but his ego was not connected to that anger he was angry because of injustice and sin. His ego was, was not connected to his anger. His, his ego was not being offended. If that were the case, Jesus would have been angry throughout his three years of ministry, right? Because he was constantly under attack. They're constantly saying horrible things about it. They're constantly, he's constantly being questioned and his motives were being questioned. If anybody had reason to be offended, it was Jesus, but he was never offended. Never angry, never insulting, never calling people fools, except those who were under his judgment, like the Pharisees, whom he called serpents. But his ego was not connected to it. He was calling out their sin and their injustice. Now, let me just give you some examples of moments when you feel angry and you're, you're in, you feel like insulting, and maybe there's a whole conversation going on in your car with people in other cars who can't hear you. You idiot, you fool. 
know what I'm talking about. You're driving along, someone cuts you off, and the boy, the first thing out of your mouth is, ugh, idiots. Hey, I want to tell you, the place to practice your faith is in your car when you're driving, especially in our neighborhood. <laughs> Jesus has called us to be like him. And sometimes you feel cheated at a store. The, the first thing you want to do is you want to get angry, get even. People cut you off while you're talking or not listening to you. That's something that really, 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 really annoys me. If I'm, if I'm making, it's making a point or saying something, I'm being cut off. Or I'm talking and the person who is sitting across from me is not listening to a word I'm saying, but they're thinking about what they're going to say when I stop talking. Then I feel like, mmm. And yet Jesus does not give me permission to make excuses. You know, you know the excuses I'm talking about. Oh, well, it's just my temperament. I'm, I'm hot-blooded. I, I, I'm Irish. I'm, I'm Italian. I'm... I was born this way. God made me this way. I can't help it. These are all excuses. And, and please don't say God made me this way. No, that's not how God operates. Yes, it's true that some people are more hot-headed than others, but don't blame God for that. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden, right? God, it's not my fault that I sinned. It's your fault because you gave me that woman who caused me to sin. And the woman, it's not my fault. You made the snake and he's the one. This is what we tempt to, we're tempted to do, right? But we can't do that. We need to own our sin and say, God, forgive me. This is the standard of somebody who's under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You can't live this way unless you are born again and the Spirit of God is working in you. It's not possible. Not possible to be free of that kind of anger. So, not only must you be self-controlled, and by the way, self-control is the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what it means to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. By the way, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's evident what's in your heart by what comes out of your mouth. So if you're cursing people, making fun of people, you're insulting people, calling them fool, and you're angry, it tells me what's going on in your heart, and it tells everybody else what's going on in your heart. Meanwhile, you're going around telling everybody, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to cross church. I'm a believer. I give this. I do that and do great things. But meanwhile, they're looking at you thinking, man, something's not adding up here. And they're right. Because somebody who's under the influence of the Holy Spirit speaks differently, acts differently, has a different attitude. You're not like other people. If you are a Christian, then you have been transformed by the power of God. You're not like other people. So I'm going to say to you today, if you've been in the habit of making excuses for your behavior, stop it. I'd rather go to the Lord and ask for his forgiveness. Ask him for his grace and strength to live this life that he's called you to live. And I'm going to tell you, it's utterly possible to live like this if you have been born again, if you're under the control of the Holy Spirit. So you must deal with your anger. You must be rid of it. And the only way that you can live 
free of anger, free of insulting and calling people full, is if you have this daily walk with God. That's why the first thing we teach you here is to have a daily walk with God, where you're doing your devotions and praying and reading your Bible every day. Show me somebody who's failing, somebody who's going around angry and insulting, calling you. I'm going to show you somebody who doesn't do their devotions. Because it's impossible, if you've been in the presence of Almighty God, to go away unchanged. When, the, when Moses went up to Mount Sinai and got the Ten Commandments, the Bible says when he came down, his countenance was glowing. And it was glowing with the radiance and the glory of God. And it was glowing so much that the people of Israel could not look at Moses. It was that brilliant. This is what you and I need to do. We need to get into the presence of God so that we are transformed and we reflect God and not the God of this world. Who do you reflect? Hey, What do you do if you know someone has something against you? Well, Jesus addresses that, doesn't he? Look what it says here. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, what's Jesus talking about here? Offering your gift at the altar. We don't know what that means. Let me explain it to you. It's basically, Jesus is explaining our worship of God. This is what they did in Old Testament times. They came to the temple. They they gave an offering that was then burnt on the altar. And this was their worship. This was their connection to God. Now, we apply this in New Testament times, and we understand that this is our worship. When it comes to worship, daily worship, which we call devotions, our daily walk with God, or coming to church and worshiping. God says, Jesus says, if, if when you come to that place of worship and suddenly remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Go where? Do what? Well, first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. There's so many of us that really our our faith is a dichotomy. It's split. It's it's schizophrenic. We We think we have this rich relationship with God, but yet we hate people. What kind of a bizarre religion have you got? That's not biblical. That's not acceptable. One of the proofs that we love God is that we love each other. And how do we love each other? We do not go around hating people. But Jesus says this, he takes it a step further, and he's putting now the responsibility on you and me. If when you go into worship, you remember, not that you have something against somebody, but you remember somebody has something against you, you take responsibility. This is an amazing faith we have. The responsibility rests on your shoulders. You go and make it right. You go to your brother and say, hey, perchance, do you have something against me? Have I offended you? Have I hurt your feelings? My dad is brilliant at this, and I've learned so much from him in that. He'll say, have I said something? Have I done something? You know, I might, I might have something on my mind. I'm not quite as chatty, maybe a little bit distant. And he'll say to me, are you, are you okay? And I'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, everything's fine. That's what we do. We go and make sure that there is there's no outstanding debt. It's your responsibility. Don't wait for somebody else to take responsibility. Jesus puts it on you and me. This, my friends, is authentic Christianity. 
The responsibility is on us. We do something. We go and make it right. Leave your gift there before the altar and go be reconciled. So don't play this game on Sunday where you hate people during the week and you come, oh, hallelujah, and, and get all spiritual and holy. Meanwhile, your life is a fraud. Look, you may be able to fool people, but I'm going to tell you, you can't fool God. And at the end of the day, that's the one you're going to be held accountable to. You're not going to count to me. When you get to heaven, I won't be the one sitting behind the desk saying, aha, let's see if we're going to let you in now. I'm going to be standing right beside you before the judge, before the king of kings, and I will give an account as you will give an account. And we will give an account, just so you know. Jesus talks about the judgment that is to come. So if you're going to worship God, make sure that you've got no outstanding debt. By the way, it doesn't always work. I'm going to tell you that right now. There are people that have been offended by me. I've gone to them. I've apologized. I've apologized. I've apologized. And they just refuse to forgive. I can't do anything about that. I still pray for them. I still love them. And if they should ever find in their hearts to forgive me for whatever I've done, I will embrace them and love them. And by the way, I've done that many times many, many times. Now, I just want to point something out to you, and this is really, really critical. If you haven't been paying attention so far, listen to this one. Listen carefully. You go to your brother. You say, have you got something against me? He said, yes. You said this or you did that, and you, you were mean to me. And in your mind, you're thinking, no, I wasn't. I wasn't angry. I didn't say anything. I don't have a bad... I'm I'm cool. You're thinking, you've imagined this. Please don't say that. You're imagining this. If someone opens their heart and tells you how they're feeling, don't turn around and say to them, you're imagining this. You're making this up. You're, You're stupid. You're a fool. You don't know what you're saying. Don't do that. Listen to them. Hear what they've got to say. And here's what you're going to say in response. You're going to say, I apologize. I'm sorry. I didn't realize I was offending you. I didn't realize I was hurting you. I am sorry. I apologize. Now, for some of you, you're thinking, well, that's lying. That's not the truth. That's not how, I, wasn't, I wasn't really trying to hurt them. Listen, Jesus sets for us an example. Jesus, who was sinless, Without fault, did nothing wrong. He spread his arms. His hands were nailed to a cross. His feet were nailed to the cross. Blameless. And yet, what did he do? He said, it's my fault. I'll take the blame. That, my friends, is what it means to be a Christian. You're going to be like Jesus. And if necessary, you're going to take responsibility. And you're going to say, Forgive me, I'm sorry. And in that, you defeat Satan. Did you hear that? People talk about spiritual warfare. They have no idea what they're talking about. I never heard such nonsense. Spiritual warfare is forgiving. Spiritual warfare is asking for forgiveness. Spiritual warfare is doing whatever you need to do to make things right with others. It's doing what Jesus says. Leave your gift at the altar. Stop your worship. 
and go make things right with your brother. And when you made things right with your brother, then you may resume worshiping again. This is a big, big command and a big demand on every believer. I'm almost done here. Jesus says in verses 25 to 26, he says, come to terms quickly. Do it quick. And you know why you need to do this quickly? Well, Jesus tells us there's consequences. All kinds of consequences. I haven't got time to go into all the consequences that that come to us as a result of not being reconciled to our brothers and sisters. It hurts everybody. It hurts the church. It hurts your family. It hurts your marriage. It hurts, hurts relationships. It destroys friendships. Jesus says, do it quickly. For Christ's sake, do it quickly. Avoid the consequences of unforgiveness and of anger. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Pastor Allen, I'm only human. There's times when I feel angry. Yes, it's true. We all do. But what do you do with the anger? Well, here's what the Apostle Paul says. And don't sin by letting anger control you. That moment that you feel angry, what do you need to do? Don't lash out. Don't phone somebody and tell them the the latest. Get before the King of Kings. Get before the Lord and tell the Lord what's on your heart and let him help you so that you are, are not controlled by anger, but you are controlled by the Holy Spirit. Listen, anger is all about you trying to take control and hold control, but the Christian understands that the Christian life is about the Holy Spirit being in control. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Why? And here's the spiritual warfare, people. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. You want to defeat Satan in your marriage, defeat Satan at your workplace, in your home? Don't let the, ang- let the sun go down in your anger. Gloria and I made that rule when we first got married 31 years ago, and we've been living like that ever since. There's times when we've had some real debates going on, and it's getting late at night. The sun has gone down a long time ago, and we'll say, look, it, let's put this on the shelf, and we'll pick it up tomorrow, and we'll deal with it. But right now, let's go to, let's go to sleep happy with each other and in love with each other. And that's why we've had 31 years of glorious marriage, and it keeps getting better every year. We refused to allow Satan to have a foothold in our marriage and in our home. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we thank you right now for your Holy Spirit who is at work in us. We are not facing this Christian life in our own strength. We are, we are not attempting to live the Christian life in our own strength. God, it's hopeless and it's futile. But we've been given the Holy Spirit who enables us and strengthens us and empowers us to live as Jesus teaches us to live. Not as the Pharisees whose religion was all external. We're talking about living as Jesus called us to live where our spirituality is internal. It's a change of heart, a change of attitude. And for that, God, we thank you for the grace and the power to live as you've called us to live. And we pray that all in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, put on your mask.